Hi, Jackie. Hey, Ramona. How are you? I'm good. Uh, welcome, She 2.0 listeners. Thanks for joining us again. Um, this week's podcast is another hot topic that I'm super excited about. Um, we had Navdeep Graywall, um, who's a pelvic physiotherapist. She has her license here in Ontario and also in Alberta, where uh, she recently moved. Um, so she is um, treating patients both virtually and in person, depending on where you live. And uh, we were super excited to speak to her. I've told Jackie about NAV for a while uh, because I was a patient of hers when she was here in Ontario. And I wanted to share the knowledge around pelvic physio health that I knew nothing about and it, and it changed my life. And Nav's going to share with us all the things that are important, including the big burning question that Jack has, whether or not your <laughs> vagina is going to fall out. Oh, uh, spoiler alert. Yes, it is. In fact, there's a stat <laughs> behind that. And, um, <laughs> you know, I thought Nav was amazing. Um, you have been talking about her a lot. And I have to tell, you know, anyone who's listening, um, you really need to tune in because I was listening to Nav thinking, yeah, pelvic floor therapy. I didn't know it existed. I also didn't know I had a pelvic floor. But um, when Nav started going through some of the signs and symptoms of pelvic floor weakness and, you know, potential issues, I was mentally checking off a few boxes thinking, oh my God, I have to go and get myself in to see a pelvic floor physio because like obviously someone who's had a baby but not just anyone who's had a baby I mean you don't have to have a kid you can go through perimenopause and start to have issues with your pelvic floor basically if you have a vagina you should be going to pelvic physio yeah it's kind of like a therapist everyone should have a therapist and now I feel like everyone should have a pelvic floor physio so tune in because you're going to learn a lot about that area but there's a lot of information all women should know and knowledge is power and Nav is here to give you that knowledge now have a listen to Nav Deep Graywall hi Nav thank you for joining us today Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited to speak with you as is Jackie because um, you and I met like, gosh, I guess a couple years ago. Um, and now I'm just excited to share with our listeners about what pelvic floor physiotherapy is or pelvic physio. Uh, because truthfully, I think a lot of women are suffering in silence. Um, a lot of people don't know what pelvic floor dysfunction is. And I think, you know, that's one of the largest barriers to finding care for yourself. And I was reading this, um, I think it was like a journal of physical therapy science. And it was saying that 68% of postmenopausal women felt insufficiently informed or want to get better informed about their pelvic health. So. I think it's time we inform them. I can't, I'm actually surprised the number's not higher. Um, Nav, I'm really excited um, to meet you because Ramona's talked about you for months since we started She 2.0. Um, prior to that, I didn't know I had a pelvic floor and I didn't know that 
it was causing me so many problems. So um, the number that Ramona just expressed seems really, I, I know it's a stat, but it just, I, I bet you if you asked any of my friends, we're all in the same boat. Like, what do you mean my pelvic floor and why would that be a problem? And more interestingly, when we did some research, we found out that in France, uh, women who have babies, um, their pelvic floor therapy is covered under their health plan. It's just part of their recovery. Whereas we don't even know we have a pelvic floor and we certainly don't have it mostly paid for here. So, so yeah, that's, that's interesting to me. First of all, yeah, thank you, Ramona and Jackie, for having me on. I think one of my patients put it perfectly about a couple of years ago when she said that pelvic floor dysfunction is an epidemic oh. and it is something that is very much unacknowledged, I would say consistently in the medical world and that yes, it's correct. In France, women do receive care prenatally as well as postpartum and I've had patients come who have moved to Canada from different countries, including Germany, as well as uh, Portugal and Spain saying the same thing. So I think it's very much in Europe, it is prevalent and present. And despite the fact that we live in Canada, we are way behind in terms of public health. And I think that you could just say that in general, in terms of women's health, women's health is always just, you know, pushed under, under the rug. And that's why we're here today, though, to bring that to the forefront so that women are educated because that stat is atrocious to feel that, you know, you don't know about your public for you to feel like you don't have information, you don't know who to go to, what to do is something that should be widespread information. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us just so we can get started and I really want us to start like with the basics first since a lot of our listeners will not know anything about this subject so can you just tell us a little bit about what a physiotherapist or a pelvic physiotherapist does absolutely so I am a registered physiotherapist who has taken additional postgraduate courses in pelvic physiotherapy so oftentimes physios and we're not supposed to say we specialize we're always you know that core at the core we are physios but we've taken a general or more focused interest in a specific area and so for myself after I did my master's degree I pretty much dove into women's health because that's where I found my passion was my mom had um, a hysterectomy and she had pelvic issues afterwards and so a pelvic physiotherapist is trained to do an examination of the pelvic floor, which lies inside. So we are trained to do an internal examination and we have to be rostered to do that. So not every physio can do this and that's important to know because clients go to general physiotherapists thinking that they're going to get, you know, receive pelvic physiotherapy as an assessment and treatment, but that's not the case. Um, you do have to go to someone who has taken those specific courses and we're assessing the structure and the function of the pelvic floor and then providing treatment in that area. And we can talk a little bit more about kind of like what that area is as well. Yeah, because it can tend to be, it's, it's really important as well because it is an area that is, um, it can be a, quite an intimate examination, right? Exactly. And I would like to say, though, that I have worked with um, a gynecologist um, who is in Oakville, and she routinely says that pelvic physiotherapists 
do a better job at doing internal examinations than other healthcare professionals. But okay. I think it comes down to, um, yeah, so the area is intimate, but we generally as pelvic physiotherapists have more time with our clients versus medical doctors. So if you're going to see a medical doctor, they might have, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes at most these days with their patients. And it's always go, go, go. They have to perform the exam and then go on to the next person. Whereas if someone comes in and they have trauma to that area, then that can be then even more traumatizing if that's everything's happening quickly. We have a lot of time, so we can go through education, we can go through exactly what we're going to do. And the examination is always gentle, it's always, you know, there's consent involved. And so we do try to make it as comfortable as possible for our clients. But again, yes, it is different than other physiotherapy where we're treating, you know, the shoulder or the knee. That generally is a little bit less intimate, less complex versus the pelvic area there's so much going on in that area and so much comes into play and that is such a painful exam if you are someone who is experiencing vaginal dryness or um, atrophy you know so it's it's scary to think about going for for me for someone like me going for yet another reason to have an exam down there but you really did capture my attention when you said it's it is more gentle and you have more time so i feel like it would be a more pleasant experience and i think that's one of the reasons a lot of you know people don't end up going for public floor physiotherapy because of that fear obviously no one likes internal exams <laughs> yeah. i hate pap smears i hate going for that appointment yeah, but you know, I know it's beneficial for me, but there is resistance to it because of that. It's like you don't know the person, you don't know what's going to happen, and what kind of exam it's going to be, and any previous exams and that history and those memories definitely play into someone booking an appointment. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Sure. Can we talk about? Um, can we talk about what sort of a patient's initial appointment might look like? like their first appointment with you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so if someone comes in, um, they're usually booking, you know, a new assessment with me. I've never seen them previously. So it's an hour assessment that they would be coming in for. And so a huge part, I believe, of the assessment is listening to the other person and listening to their story. And we can get so much information just from listening that I feel like then the other parts, they just happen naturally or like a lot of the stuff then I really don't have to do. So what I mean by that is someone's coming in and I'm asking questions about, you know, their medical history or when they started having symptoms. And usually I don't really ask a lot of questions. I am listening because oftentimes that's what's missing from medical care is the listening aspect because within the first i think there's a stat within the first like five or ten seconds that a medical medical doctor has already decided what is going on in their patient and they're already moving towards treatment so for myself i usually listen for probably about 15 
minutes, if not more, and just holding space for that client before then if I'm feeling like I need more information, then I'm asking you know, specific questions or guiding them and really allowing them to have some space to talk about what's going on in terms of their pelvic floor. And we can kind of go into kind of like what different issues might arise. Um, and then big part of that is also education. So once we've gone over history, then I'm educating, because a lot of people come in and they have no idea where the pelvic floor is, what it does, and what kind of other symptoms might be related to the pelvic floor. So I'm educating about, okay, where is the pelvic floor, its structure, its function, its relationship to other parts of the body. And once that educational piece is done, explaining to my client what the examination is going to be. And so I might say something along the lines of, okay, I'm going to be assessing your back, hips, abdominal area and then we're going to be doing an internal pelvic examination if you are comfortable with that that'll give you more information with regards to how your pelvic floor is doing and this is exactly how we're going to be doing the examination so so that usually honestly takes up 30 to 45 minutes the actual examination is not long it really mm. isn't and so I think it's so important to spend that time building trust with my client so that they feel comfortable with that internal examination. And so when we get to that point, if we're doing the examination and someone's very, you know, if I didn't spend that time, they might be tense. I might not get a good read of exactly how their pelvic floor is doing because if, are they tense because they're nervous? Or are they naturally like, is that how their pelvic floor is doing? So spending that time, I think, is very, very important. And then after I do do the internal examination and examining other parts of the body, then we move towards doing treatment and giving specific education, uh, doing any manual therapy I might need to do, as well as prescribing exercises, and then going over the treatment plan of what we're going to be doing in the future as well, so that the patient is well informed. So there's quite a bit that we actually do within one session. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember that. Sorry, go ahead, Jack. Oh, well, I'm just, I just wanted to, like, I'm curious about this because, um, like I said before, um, even after I had a child, I didn't know anything about pelvic floor health. It really wasn't until I hit perimenopause and menopause that it became an issue for me, which I found out post-menopause. Um, so before we get into the nitty gritty, <laughs> um, why do women who are going through perimenopause need to start thinking about pelvic floor health? Like what changes during perimenopause that it becomes an issue that they really should be paying attention to? That's a great question. So during our life, we go through certain changes as women and that can really impact the pelvic floor. So I think even before we get to that question, we should probably talk about what the pelvic floor is because I'm sure that, you know, someone listening might be like, okay, they said this, this, and this about, you know, the pelvic floor, but like, where is it? I have no idea, right? Yeah. So the pelvic floor is an area of the body that is deep within, we cannot see it. And so that's why oftentimes it does get ignored. It, someone, if you put your hand on your pubic bone, which is basically you're sliding your hand down your abdomen until you reach a bony area, and then the other hand can go on the back towards where the tailbone is. So your pelvic floor sits in between those spaces and acts as a sling. It goes from the front to the back, 
And as a hammock, it's supporting the organs inside, which include the bladder, the uterus, as well as the bowel area. And then even beyond that, it's assisting with the function of those organs. So it helps with uh, sexual functioning, it helps with uh, bowel function, as well as bladder control. And then it is also a part of the core. So oftentimes when women, you know, we always think about, okay, I need to, you know, strengthen my core, especially women postpartum or around menopause, actually, when they're like, I want to get fit again, then we're thinking about, okay, let's strengthen our core, but, and usually they're pointing towards their abdominal areas, but the pelvic floor is actually a part of the core. The core consists of the back, the pelvic floor, the hips, uh, as well as the abdominal muscles all working together to help provide support in that middle area and the pelvic floor is an integral part of that but it usually gets ignored because again we don't really think about it until something is happening until we have certain signs and symptoms and so the pelvic floor naturally has to help with um, all providing stability to the area and then what happens is after the age of 30 specifically women tend to lose muscle mass um, at the rate of about 5% per decade. And in perimenopause, that may be accelerated by the decrease in estrogen. That's happening. And that is not only impact tissue, which is made up of collagen that makes up tendons as well as ligaments. Sorry, sorry, now. also starts to... I'm so sorry. You said estrogen and then you froze. Do you remember? Okay. Oh, so sorry. Nope, that's okay. So as estrogen decreases in the body around the time of menopause, the lack of estrogen can then cause various things to occur, which may be decrease in muscle mass, which has already been happening since the third decade, as well as decrease in bone mass, and then the integrity of the connective tissue as well, as well, along with lubrication in the vaginal area. So there is kind of like a combination of things that occur around the time of menopause that are structural, that affect the integrity of the kind of structure of the pelvic floor, but also its strength that can cause different implications and different signs and symptoms may show up. It's, you know, I don't think I've had any patients come in with the exact same signs and symptoms, but there's a definitely like a huge list of things that it's very important to pay attention to as a woman, um, especially someone who's going through menopause. But then that's exactly what you said, Jackie. So it's very important to then pay attention to the perimenopausal period. And I would say even like decades, like way before that, because prevention is the best treatment to any and all of these issues. Okay. Well, one of the things I remember you saying now too is a lot of women don't realize, and I know this is for myself as well, that it's really important to do pelvic physio following childbirth. Um, because later on, you know, decades later, when we're dealing with pelvic floor dysfunction, a lot there is a connection there between, like, say, if you've had a pretty traumatic childbirth or even just a regular childbirth, it is still a trauma to that area. And then left untreated when you're younger, maybe it's not so much of a big deal. But then when you're older, 
and you're losing that elasticity and that structure that you had when you were younger, it tends to cause a lot of issues later on in life. Is that true? Exactly. So uh, when I was working in Toronto, I was actually working in seven different clinics, um, and which I know sounds crazy, but it did give me insight into different populations and uh, different um, kind of areas of pelvic floor health. And so one of the places that I worked at, it was a clinic run by three urologists, and they really wanted me to be in the clinic because time and time again, they would always get patients coming in who were experiencing pelvic organ prolapse, and that's something that we will be talking about a little bit more in detail as well. And these women would come in, usually in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and they would say something along the lines of, oh, last week, or, you know, a few weeks ago, I started experiencing, you know, I saw something down there, I felt it, and I've never had that before. And then I went to the doctor, I thought it was a tumor, but they said, no, that's your bladder coming down. Please go see a public floor physiotherapist and do your Kegels. And they would use, some of them would be really angry about it, because no one before that time, and now they've waited, you know, months to see a specialist, their family, like nobody previously told them to do Kegels. No one told them to strengthen their pelvic floor postpartum. And I would say this should be something that's being done prenatally, actually, so that we can prevent all those things from happening, even, you know, postpartum. And so now that's the education I actually give my clients. And I've had, I think, I actually had one person come in before she wanted to conceive because she wanted to know how to do Kegels and strengthen her pelvic floor before she even became pregnant. And so that's even like for me, like looking ahead and like that is something amazing. That's what we should be doing because as a pelvic floor physical, I don't, I don't see clients until after the first trimester um, because of the risk of miscarriage being high in the first trimester. And so if I can teach women before you know, like even in like, you know, their teen years, early 20s, how to strengthen their pelvic floor, a little bit more education about it. I think that would save, I know the government is always about, you know, we're thinking about, okay, how can we save money later? But it's more about quality of life, I would say. It would just improve the quality of life of women later on in life so much. Mm -hmm. And it would save us money later because then we don't have to treat it as harshly later or put, you know, like if we're in a healthier position in our 20s or 30s we might have less complication in our 40s and 50s yeah 60 percent of admissions to care homes is because of clients not being able to take care of their own bowel and bladder oh wow so, yeah that's and a big number that's not being addressed right now at all I didn't know that. My God, I better get my acting gear. My family's going to ship me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you did touch on uh, Jackie's nurse worst nightmare, which is like her vagina falling out. So. Uh, I knew it. I knew that was a thing. I keep telling you that's a thing. You don't believe me, but Nav just proved it. <laughs> it's a thing. I've seen a lot of women come in with that huge fear and I can tell you it can happen way earlier in life too um, without having children. Like I've experienced pelvic organ prolapse and I never thought I would. <laughs> and I'm a pelvic physio, so I knew exactly what to do for myself. 
but it's it's huge. I see it in most of my clients. And we are we do want to focus on perimenopause and menopause, but I do have to ask, are there any other gynecological issues that women experience that lead to pelvic floor dysfunction that we should at least just highlight? We don't have to really talk about what those are, but just for those listeners out there that may be dealing with certain gynecological issues now or even earlier in their life um, that could lead to pelvic floor dysfunction later on that they should be thinking about this now? Yeah, I'll highlight risk factors that can lead to pelvic floor dysfunction, um, whether they're gynecological or not, just because the non-gynecological ones can be quite common and overlooked as well. And so anything that affects the pressure being put on the pelvic area, so anything that really increases that pressure, as well as anything that affects the integrity of the muscles as well as the connective tissue, is going to then increase the risk of having a pelvic floor dysfunction. Okay, so I'll give you an example. So for my that experienced pelvic organ prolapse, that was because of chronic constipation. Okay, so someone has chronic constipation and they are consistently straining for bowel movements, that is increased pressure on the pelvic muscles. A lot of people do this and they don't think twice about it and they're just like, well, I just wanna have a bowel movement, this is the way I'm going to do it or I've always done it this way, but that increased pressure over time can weaken the muscles, okay? Another thing is chronic respiratory disease. So if someone has a chronic cough, chronic bronchitis, um, if they have asthma and they're constantly coughing, that can put them at risk. And research actually shows us that can put them at risk for increased pelvic floor dysfunction as wow. well. Wow. Okay, I didn't know any of that. Holy. Yeah. Because if you think about it, that's pressure. So if someone is a smoker and then they develop that chronic cough, that is going to impact smoking in general also impacts the strength of the muscles because of lack of oxygen and so both of them together can be multifactorial risk factor to then incurring a pelvic floor dysfunction so along with those two then the other one would be persistent heavy lifting so if someone has a job where they are lifting persistently um, you know, eight hours a day, if they're working in a warehouse, something along those lines, and they're more at risk. In general, exercise is not seen as a risk factor um, because exercise encompasses, you know, it could encompass cardio, it could be yoga. So there's kind of like that low impact um, component to it. But if someone is doing kind of more high intensity exercise, say they're doing CrossFit, um, gymnastics, heavy lifting, that kind of thing, that may then play into it as well. So it just depends on kind of like the impact level on the pelvic floor. I knew there was another reason not to go to CrossFit. <laughs> yeah. Women in CrossFit, um, there's just this culture of if you lift and you pee your pants, it mean you, means you've done a great job because like that's just like you're exerting so much pressure and everybody else will be like, you know, kind of like cheering those women along. But I just think it's awful. That's terrible. Oh, my God. I like I run up the stairs coming like in from getting groceries. I barely make it. No one's cheering me on. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, you peed, mommy. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm okay for peeing, but just like at the right time when you want to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, consensual. Um, yeah. So that, that leads to a good question. I think, Ramona, you were saying earlier too. Um, what are the signs of that you need some pelvic floor therapy? Like, obviously peeing, <laughs> but are there any other signs that are even like something you wouldn't even think to connect to pelvic floor therapy? Right. So there are conditions and then there are signs and symptoms because sometimes if someone has a pelvic floor condition, they might not actually have signs and symptoms, which can actually can include pelvic organ prolapse. Um, but um, so let's go through, I would say the conditions and go through kind of like what signs and symptoms are for each condition. So we'll start with pelvic organ prolapse because we've already mentioned it. So pelvic organ prolapse, a lot of women don't know about like, even like what that means. So prolapse means that something is coming down. And so those muscles that we talked about, they have to support the bladder bowel as well as uterus. And so if those muscles and connective tissue become weak, then slowly those organs, and I know this is going to sound awful and scary, but they can start to come down towards the vaginal entrance, okay, which would lead to certain signs and symptoms if it is worsening, because there's different grades of prolapse, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4. Usually with 1 and 2, not a lot of people are getting symptoms. It's usually with, you know, like 2 becoming a 3 or 3 becoming a 4, which means that it's coming low towards the vaginal entrance or it's at the entrance or outside. And that's when usually women get a lot of symptoms of bulging, heaviness, pressure, feeling like there's a bowling ball in the vagina or the vagina is going to fall out. It could be persistent all the time, or it could be something that they get with a, with a particular activity. So I've had a lot of patients come in and say, you know, I was walking and towards the end of the walk, that's when I started to feel this. Or when I'm running and jumping, that's when I'm feeling it. Or with sex, I feel like, you know, it's like hitting something. There's something there. And so for a lot of these women, they're just like, okay, well, I don't really know what's going on in there anyways. So I'm just going to modify my activity or, you know, just ignore it when really it's like that's something to pay attention to that can become worse and usually that's when I'm getting those women come to me at the clinic at the urologist's office when it's gotten so worse that they can feel something at the vaginal entrance or they can see something there oh and my god okay I wish I wish our listeners could see Jackie's <laughs> face right now like it's like she is beside herself this is nightmare inducing stuff for me really I know that's, that's actually so important. I've gotten into pelvic floor health is because of prolapse because it's just no one knows about it yeah. and until it's bad and then no one else is talking about it either everybody knows about you know their aunt or grandma who had to get the bladder lift surgery mm -hmm. then we don't really talk about it after that no <laughs> you're right no. yeah because it feels like something that happens to an aging body not a healthy body right but it could happen to anybody. Could you can be perfectly healthy, and like you said, if you ignore the signs or you've had a traumatic childbirth, et cetera, et cetera, it can happen. I definitely know that I'm in the camp of ignoring it and praying it goes away because I think the reaction I just had was because I've had that feeling before. So, 
I'm a little exactly. bit concerned. Okay. And when you mentioned um, leakages as, you know, like that's something that, you know, everybody knows about, you know, leakages is something related to the pelvic floor. Like I'm having a bladder leakage, I shouldn't be. So that's kind of most commonly associated with pelvic floor, you know, weakness. But if someone has pelvic organ prolapse, the prolapse can, we call it, it can mask uh, leakages. What that means is usually if someone has pelvic organ prolapse, they are not having leakages because the organs are shifting. Oh. They won't, with coughing, laughing, sneezing, or exercise, they're not going to have that leakage. They actually have urinary retention as well as bowel retention. So they'll feel like, oh, I went to the washroom, either, you know, peeing or pooping. And then afterwards, they get up. After a few minutes, they're like, oh, my gosh, I have to go again. It's because the organs, when you got up and walked around, they shifted, which then, like, kind of, like, pushed everything down again. And then you have to feel like you have to go again. So it's kind of like they might not know that they could have leakages because yeah. of that. Because their organs right. are blocking the leakage, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So what okay. other conditions should we be mindful of? So another big one is any type of pain. So low back pain is also associated with pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, if someone is having chronic pain in their hips, you know, they've gone to chiro massage, regular physio, acupuncture, and it's still not improving. Um, any type of pubic pain, groin pain, tailbone pain, and then also pain with intercourse, fertile area. So from all the way going to the back, kind of like saran wrap, that's an area if, if someone is experiencing pain or there's discomfort, it could actually be coming from the pelvic floor or other parts of the core. So I think we've covered most of what the conditions and or other side effects one, one might experience. Is there anything else we're missing now? I just wanted to focus a little bit on painful intercourse because that's a yeah. big one that I see. Um, but, and I would say a lot of my clients have two other healthcare professionals for it. And it's been either, usually a lot of women come to me and they're not referred for pelvic physio, but they've somehow found me. Uh, for pelvic physio, for painful intercourse. But when they've gone to other healthcare professionals, it's either, you know, like someone's told, you know, just have a glass of wine, just relax. <laughs> no. um, and try to do some deep breathing and it'll go away. And they usually are saying, you know what, I've already tried that. Why do you think I came to you? Uh, thank you. Um, or it's just kind of like painful periods. It's like swept under the rug of like, okay, well, you know, just try to work through it but really no one's looking at that area in a holistic way to see why that might be happening. And yes, as a pelvic physio, I am more focused because that's my training to look at, you know, the muscles, but it could also be coming from other different areas. It could be, you know, like trauma to that area. It could be surgery. It could be hormonally related. Um, if someone, you know, had cancer and then radiation treatment, um, as well. So there's so many different parts to why someone might be experiencing painful intercourse. And I feel like that's just a huge one that's swept under the rug. It causes a lot of stress and anxiety. And these women might feel like, okay, it's all in my head. And, you know, I do want to make my partner happy. So I'm going to have sex. But then every single time they do, 
it can really make that area very, very sensitive to the point where they even think about having sex then, or they're anticipating it and then their muscles are clenching up or they're becoming fearful and that just plays into it and it could, it could really become a vicious cycle that I feel like that the other conditions, they don't have that aspect to it. Whereas the intercourse part does because that's something that's supposed to be pleasurable. And if it's not, then your brain associates that with danger and the fight or flight response goes up. And then after a while, the libido is going to go down. Yes. Yeah. I bet you a million women would agree with that. (laughs) At least a million. I'm one of them. And it makes you feel so bad and and easy to misdiagnose that too. It's true. And it is a subject that comes up a lot in, in our conversations because um, a lot of women, again, as I mentioned before, suffer in silence. And I was one of them, but that's how I got introduced to you. And, and you feel like shameful and embarrassed and you don't think you have any, any options that are going to help you. And so I think I'd, I would really like if we talked a little bit about um, the painful sex aspect, and it is usually associated with menopause, and what types of treatments you, treatment options you can give your patients to help. For sure. So I've seen many women um, who have been experiencing painful intercourse and it could be, you know, for a couple months, it could be years and specifically surrounding menopause. So estrogen really plays into increasing lubrication in the area. And so with decreased estrogen, there is potential for decreased lubrication that can cause vaginal dryness as well as vaginal atrophy, which is thinning of the tissues. And so if someone presents, you know, they come in, and they're presenting during menopause with this then there are a few treatment options and this would include me you know collaborating with either a medical professional um or somebody else because i do tend to you know look at more of the muscular side but a lot of women come in and if they've been told by someone else you know this is not a big deal then coming to me can be that avenue of making the difference of me referring them to someone who can help them because I am looking at the muscles. So if I do my examination and I find, you know, the muscles are actually fine They're, you know, there's not a lot of tension in them. It's more kind of, you know, either on um, the looser side or there's vaginal atrophy, thinning of the tissues um, and it might not be muscular related, then I would want that client to be referred to someone. And so one of the healthcare professionals that I was uh, working with in Oakville actually, and this might be someone um, that I might be connecting uh, you ladies to, uh, her name is Dr. Christy Prost. She has a clinic called the Institute for Hormonal Health and she does a lot of hormonal health. And she does literally like IV infusions of different hormones and prescribes hormones to women um, that are not synthetic to help with different issues that they might be having around menopause. Along with that, so there are, you know, creams, lotions that can be used topically in the area to increase um, lubrication. And they're usually an estrogen-based cream. I'm never prescribing them because that's out of my scope of practice, but at least I can connect that client to someone who might be able to prescribe that to them, which is, you know, in my case, it was Dr. Prowse. 
And so if that's, that would be kind of like the first line of treatment. If that's not helping, then that medical doctor would kind of make the decision on what to do. But there were two other treatments that Dr. Prowse was using um, that were beneficial for some of my clients. One is called the V-Sculpt Pro. So V-Sculpt Pro um, is a device that uh, is to be used internally, but is to be prescribed by a healthcare professional to increase the cell count um, and the integrity of the tissues that help to support the pelvic floor. And in doing so, it can help with leakages, uh, with prolapse, and to some extent uh, with vaginal dryness. That The second option, and this is if someone was coming in for assistance and they've used, like they've done everything. They've done pelvic physio before. Um, they're getting a second opinion from me. They've maybe done the V-Sculpt. They have used the creams and lotions. Nothing's helping with their vaginal dryness. Then Dr. Prowse usually recommends, it's called the Mona Lisa Touch, <laughs> which I know <laughs> is an interesting name, but it's actually, it's laser therapy. And uh, she always talks about it as, you know, the Italians came up, uh, you know, with laser area. And what they do is they, we, while using the laser, little micro tears are created in the vaginal tissue, which can then afterwards, as they're healing, they actually create more tissue to help with that actual aspect of vaginal lubrication. Both of these, so physio, yes, it's something that's covered by insurance. V-Sculpt is not. It's about 500 bucks. Uh, Mona Lisa is, I think, three sessions, which is all you need, um, is $2,000. Per session yeah. or in total? In total. Is it painful? They use a numbing uh, cream for the area. And so during the procedure, it would not be. And most of my clients have said afterwards they feel okay. 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 Yeah, but those are just some options. But really, vaginal dryness is something as a physiotherapist, if I see it, if it's not muscle related, I always struggle with it because, you know, it's always, and now that I've moved to Calgary, I'm like, okay, who can I refer my clients to who can actually adequately take care of this issue for them without saying, oh, you know, this is just what's going to happen because, you know, you're aging or something along those lines. There are various right. options out there, but I feel that they really need to be tailored to each person and you know it shouldn't be like the cookie cutter approach yeah. and it's just something that is really it is a passion of mine but it's just something I, I'm being honest like I struggle with it because if it's not muscles then like I'm limited in what I can do to help my patients with it. Yeah. The one thing though that I thought was pretty surprising and I think it's important for listeners to know is that when I had my appointment with you and part of the treatment, when we did do an internal exam, what I was surprised about was that there were muscles inside that needed release that were causing me discomfort that you can't access by a simple like going for a rub down at a regular with your regular massage therapist that you were using pressure points inside to release muscle and I could feel so much tension release when you were doing that and I had no idea that that would have been part of the treatment exactly and I feel a lot of people don't think about it because they don't realize what the pelvic floor is right so if we just think about the 
vagina yes like there's a vaginal canal but what's really like surrounding it right and how do we then access those muscles it is yes those muscles have connections to other parts of the body to you know the hip muscles the back muscles but the only way to really get to them is internally and so that then does become a part of our treatment and for a lot of women they're like oh my gosh i didn't even know like i could do this right and that's kind of one of the things that where i'm using that as treatment and it is i try do try to make it as gentle as possible when we are doing it um and kind of like build up on you know like how much pressure we're using but that's something i also teach my clients to do at home right so if someone mm -hmm. shows up and they are experiencing pain with intercourse and they are feeling like you know like i have no idea like what i should be doing and i find their muscles are tight i don't want my clients to always rely on me and always come to me in person that's not my role my role is to empower women to take care of their own health and to feel like they can and so that's one of the techniques that i usually teach my clients it's like either using your own fingers or using something called a thera wand which is basically a glass wand that you can get how to use that because it's impossible to kind of like reach deeper into the muscles into the vaginal area so it's good to use a wand that can do that and then you feel like you can make a difference with your muscles at home um and then you're able to do it more frequently versus coming to me over and over again but that is something that is huge a lot of women carry tension in their pelvic floor and that can be because of pain experience previously or it could be because of ways that the pelvic floor can become tight um and uh, one last thing that i'll say about pelvic floor tension usually if someone comes in and they tell me they have a tight pelvic floor i usually ask them about their jaw and ask them if they either grind their teeth or they clench their jaw because if there's tension in the pelvic floor there's usually tension in the low back in the shoulders in the neck in the jaw and that can manifest in many different ways in other parts of the body as well I think that's fascinating because um, one of the things I've learned over the years, because I clench my jaw when I'm stressed and I grind my teeth at night. So it's a very common thing in women. We carry a lot of stress in our jaw. So it's fascinating to hear that we also carry it in the pelvic area. Yeah, that's actually a technique that I use to, so if someone comes in and um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Kegels and pelvic floor tightness as well, because I think that's very important for um, everyone to know about because everyone thinks they should just be doing kegels but if someone comes in and they are having difficulty releasing their pelvic floor we can use the breath and relaxing the jaw as a way to help relax the pelvic floor if someone comes in and they have difficulty doing a kegel i get them to tense their pelvic floor or tense their jaw sorry to help with pelvic floor contractions oh, okay Right. Yeah. And I did want to, I did want you to touch on the fact that, you know, pelvic physio just isn't about doing Kegels. I think a lot of women know about Kegels nowadays. I don't know how many of us are doing them anymore, but it isn't just about Kegels, right? Right. And I'll start off by saying that research shows 50% of women are not doing Kegels correctly. I would say about 90% of my clients are not doing Kegels correctly. And we're often told to do Kegels, no one really explains what a kegel is though and we really don't do that with any other type of exercise if someone is saying hey here do a shoulder press do a bicep curl that person is usually saying this is how you do it whereas 
that term is just thrown around and you know we're yeah we're just told hey do your kegels well like, what does that actually mean right and so if 50% of women aren't doing them correctly then what are they really doing they might be compensating and doing you know they might be squeezing their bum they might be sucking in their stomach they might be holding their breath they might be just you know squeezing their legs together and I often have a lot of women telling me, oh, you know, I'm doing my Kegels when I'm driving my car. I'm like, there's no way you're doing that because if you're actually <laughs> doing a proper Kegel, you would get into a car accident. <laughs> so you're doing something else. <laughs> and, yeah, and so pelvic floor physio is much more than just doing Kegels. Most of my clients don't need to even do Kegels. We need to relax our pelvic floors first and a lot of women who are experiencing leakages might be experiencing leakages because they have a tight pelvic floor. So if you think about it, if the pelvic floor is tight and someone coughs, laughs, or sneezes, that pelvic floor cannot contract anymore with regards to that pressure, and it's actually going to release. And when it releases, that's when someone might experience that leakage. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know yeah. that. I. Um, it makes perfect sense, but you wouldn't think it. I never would have thought. Yeah, and I never really used to think about it until I took the courses as well, but it makes sense. And so if someone shows up like that, right, or they've been told, like we've been told a million times, hey, do your Kegels, they usually come in and they're saying, you know what, I've tried Kegels and they either didn't work or they made my symptoms worse because it just made their pelvic floor even tighter. And then we really have to work on releasing and relaxing their pelvic floor because if someone's shoulder was tight and really restricted, I'm not going to get them to do more strengthening exercises. I'm going to get them to relax that shoulder yeah. first and then we could on that. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. Yeah. And that's just the thing that's a big educational component that I feel like is really missing. And I would say a lot of, you know, I, because I've worked with a lot of physicians, I would say they are telling their clients to do Kegels, telling to do too many Kegels, like 50. I've had patients come in and they're doing like 50 Kegels a day. I've never prescribed more than, you know, like 10 or 15 a day. And if they're doing that repeatedly for a long period of time, that can impact their pelvic floor and perhaps cause more dysfunction. And then they also lose confidence in two then and then going to they're probably like oh this is not working okay so then before anyone does their kegels they should probably have an appointment with a pelvic physiotherapist to ensure that one they should be doing them and that they're doing them correctly yeah yeah so the gold standard to know if someone is doing a kegel correctly is to do an internal examination that's the only way we can tell how the muscles are doing but having said that uh it's covid a lot of people don't want to come into the clinic yeah that's right <laughs> and so since march um when all the clinics shut down a lot of physios stopped working i was i was you know i was like i need to make a difference still i need to help people a lot of people still need care i was fully booked with patients who are wanting to still do pelvic health and so i by using screening questions that's where listening really comes in if someone comes in and they're telling me i have urinary urgency frequency pain with intercourse tailbone pain 
it feels tight down there, I'm not gonna give them Kegels. Then automatically, we're just working on breathing. But if someone comes in and they're like, oh, it actually feels loose down there, I have leakages, no, I don't have any of these pain conditions, I don't have urinary urgency frequency, I don't have constipation, then I might start them off with Kegels, and I'm pretty good at you know, teaching how to do Kegels virtually, seeing how their body is responding to it, their breathing, and if any other part of the body is compensating. However, I always say, you know, if you experience worsening of symptoms, within a couple weeks at your next appointment, we're gonna stop that or stop it immediately and then we can address that at the next next session. But so that's where kind of like, you know, during COVID, that's kind of like what we've used. But the gold standard, the only way to really check is to do an internal examination because sometimes, and this happened with a couple clients where I thought the pelvic floor was tight but we actually needed to strengthen first. And that's happened a couple times virtually. Um, so that's kind of like where it comes in. And that's where a lot of people do get scared. They're like, oh, well now I have to go for this internal exam. But if you don't go, then like you're not gonna, it's still not improving your symptoms. That's a sign to go. Yeah, okay. It sounds to me, the one thing I've learned in this hour, Nav, is that it sounds like most women need to have pelvic physio in their life, regardless of their age, their demographic. Yeah. Um, like, it just seems like it should be part of our healthcare regime. Would you agree? I completely agree. I would say there are physios in every ward of the hospital, except for the obstetrical ward. Why? I'm not sure. What? Um, and yeah, they, we don't have physio there. And physio should be, it's part, it should be part of, you know, the general examination that we have every year. So if you're going to go see your doctor and have that examination, it should be like, okay, I'm going to do that exam. And then in the next room, you know, there's now sitting over there, whoever, and just go in and get a quick check-in even if you don't have any symptoms it's just good to know you know she might find something and then those are some exercises that are going to help you in the future and just make that a part of your exercise program because it you're you're completely right Ramona if we don't address it then it just becomes an issue and that's why we're you know then we have to have all these like podcasts <laughs> and stuff about it right mm -hmm. educating everybody when really like this should not be a responsibility to educate the mass public. This is what the government should be doing. This is what the healthcare system should be doing. It should be part of our yeah annual, like when we get our checks up, this should be part of it and it should be covered for all women. I agree with you. Um, Nav, thanks so much for your time tonight. Um, this was so informative. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> But I, I really think this episode is going to change some lives because I know it's changed mine and I've actually been a bit of a pelvic uh, dropout, but this has just <laughs> fueled my fire again and made me realize like how important it is for my life and all women. Now, Ramona, when you said dropout, was that a play on words about your vagina dropping out? Or? <laughs> <laughs> you're funny that way. <laughs> now, thank you so much. Yeah, you're good at that. You just want to see me cringe. Um, that was that was so fascinating. And yeah, like Ramona's already like been talking about pelvic floor physio for as long as I can 
you know, remember when we started talking about all this and just our conversation tonight makes me realize I have a few of those little symptoms that I might have to go in and get checked out, but I am of the camp to ignore them because I'm like dreading an internal exam. So I feel a little better and I'm definitely going to look into that. Thank you so much again for having me online, ladies. I know it's hard to find a public physiotherapist. That's why I was at seven different places in Toronto because I was in need. So if anyone is looking to find a public physiotherapist, usually the College of, so each province has a website. And so the College of uh, Physiotherapists of Ontario, they have a roster of physiotherapists who do public physiotherapy. So if you're finding, oh, I'm Googling and there's nobody in my area, it might be good to check that. We can perhaps maybe include that link. Um, yeah. Or it's good to just ask around with friends because I know it's something that's very intimate. And, you know, you don't, a lot of people don't want to just go to someone. So word of mouth is, is huge in this area. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Nav. We'll post the links for that and, uh, and how people can find you too. Um, and like to Ramona's point, I think this is a game changer. This is such a, an eye opener. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, ladies.